Hello, everyone, and welcome to BibleQuest.tv, the Tuesday edition. We're glad you're joining us today on this, uh, actually, it's our first show for the year, 2018. And we hope all of you in the audience will join us in our conversation today. And something just changed here. Okay, here we go. I'm sorry, some things are flying around here on my screen. Uh, with us today, we have Scott from Gettysburg. How you doing, Scott? I am doing all right, but I've got a signal I can't start my video, for, but that may be better for the audience. So <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I think I know. I think I stopped my screen sharing on that. Okay. We also have uh, Jeff from Exton, Pennsylvania. Hi, Jeff. Andrew and everyone. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, too. And Stephen also from Gettysburg. Hi, Stephen. Hey, Drew. Welcome, everybody. Good to see you as well. And Noah, our webcast engineer, is back with us this week. Glad to have you back, Noah. How are you doing? He's um, I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. How are you guys? Okay. <laughs> All right, good. Um, before we get started, I just want to uh, remind everyone we want to hear from you and our audience, whether you're texting in or you're calling in, because on the um, on the Zoom app, you can actually use your audio from your computer to Call in just like a regular talk show if you want to do that. You do that by clicking the, the hand icon on the video. Um, or else you can still text in using the chat window, clicking on that Q&A box. Uh, not the chat window, the Q&A box. Sorry for the confusion. Also then, Facebook, we have you broadcasting live on your Facebook page, right, uh, Stephen? Yes. If you're coming in through the Facebook page today, please feel free to leave your comments and questions in the comments below. And we will try to get to those as soon as we can. Okay. Well, you know, this, this program we call Bible Quest. And so today we're going to be talking about the Bible itself or the translations on the Bible from uh, the Greek. And uh, I'm going to turn this over. Who, where are we starting with this, guys? We, we didn't talk too much about who's going to start off with this today. Why don't who's we have Stephen start off with a chart that he put together to just kind of illustrate uh, some basic differences in aims, because not every translation is even aiming for the same thing. So why don't you start us off? Oh, and let's let's also point this out before we begin. Um, we're going to be discussing advantages, strengths, weaknesses of different translations. What we're not going to be doing is saying this, this one single translation right here is the one that you should use and, and not any other. We're dealing with English translations uh, for in the New Testament, uh, the Greek Testament. And it's a good thing to have more than one translation available to you. Uh, but Stephen, why don't you go ahead and get us started there? Sure. I'm going to share my screen here real quick and get this started up. If I can get my play button together. All right. Here we go. Can everybody see that screen? Yes, sir. All right. So what we're going to do is we're just going to briefly, I've chosen... Uh, two passages, one from Matthew and one from Romans, from these different translations. And what you're looking at right now is a, a, a kind of a continuum that we talked about a little bit before the show. Um, and from left to right, you have kind of on the left, what we would call probably more word-for-word -word translations, closer to that idea. And Jeff will have something to say about that in a second. Uh, and as you go toward the right, it shifts from a more word-to-word -word philosophy to more of a thought-for-thought -thought philosophy. And those are just different approaches to the way to translate a text. Um, 
word for word is the idea that you're trying to capture the original meanings of the words, but also the idea of the, the word order and things like that. But Jeff, you had a note on that earlier. Yeah, it, it's impossible. It's really kind of unfortunate that we use the expression word for word because it's impossible to uh, convey in English word for word what is said in Greek. There's simply too many instances where uh, the language is structured differently in, in Greek or in any language than it would be structured in English. And so we're going to have to sometimes rearrange word order. We're sometimes going to have to use different syntax. Uh, we will often say, for example, in Greek where something would be a direct object, we may use a prepositional phrase to communicate the same thing in English. Uh, participles pre present opportunities where in English we're going to be using several words, where in Greek it's one. So it's impossible to have truly a word-for-word -word translation that makes any sense. Uh, but what we mean when we say word-for-word -word is we are trying to hew as closely as possible to the structure and wording of the original language with the caveat, you can't do it completely. Yeah. So let's just read from some of these translations, and that's the, really the best way to get a feel for them. We're going to read first from Young's literal translation, which, as its name implies, tries to get to as close to a literal meaning as possible. Matthew chapter 4, 18 through 20. First, in the same passage, the same two passages from each translation, so we can kind of read them uh, one after the other. Matthew 4, 18 through 20 in Young's literal translation. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon named Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a drag into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith to them, Come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately, having left the nets, did follow him. And then another passage, Romans three twenty-two through 24 And the righteousness of God is through the faith of Jesus Christ to all, and upon all those believing. For there is no difference, for all did sin and are come short of the glory of God, being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And, and just to point out something, certainly by comparison uh, with some of the translations or paraphrases even that we're going to be talking about in a few minutes, these are very literal translations. But I think sometimes people... Um, put too much credence into the name Young's literal translation. And they, they suppose that they are actually looking at something that, again, is word for word the Greek. And, and it's not, not completely. For example, just at the very beginning of Young's literal translation of Matthew chapter 4 uh, and verse 18, it's a very small thing. But first of all, the, words, the word Jesus does not occur in the usual, the, the, the most recognized Greek text. It's based on the Textus Receptus, where you do have the word Jesus, but there, the literal Greek, if you were going to be word for word, would be, and the Jesus. And Young's literal translation doesn't include the word the, because we don't use the word the before proper nouns in English. So just to, uh, to highlight the fact there that even if you're looking at Young's literal translation, that's not the same as looking at the Greek text. Very good. So we'll move on to the American Standard Version. The Matthew 4 passage says, And walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brethren, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left the nets and followed him. And then Romans 3, 
he, even the righteousness of God through faith in Christ Jesus unto all them that believe. For there is no distinction for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I don't see a lot of difference in the Matthew 4 passage, but Romans 3 is definitely more understandable in the American standard than the Young's literal. Scott? Uh, let me throw up, Stephen, here, just on the screen. <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> let me put up on the screen something that may help people out here. And we're going to be looking at this website later in the program to see how to use it just as a useful tool. Right now, I'm not going to take time to show how to use it, but just to illustrate. So here is, did I share screen or not? Not yet. Yeah. Okay. While you're doing oh. that, while you're doing that, Scott, I just want to remind everybody in the audience and when it just came in, we're looking at the different translations uh, into English, our our current Bibles from the Greek and in some cases the Hebrew, and we're just going to look at these translations and share thoughts and observations about them. All right. So is my screen being shared? Do you see yes. from Blue Letter Bible here? Yes. Looks good. Okay. So. What we, this is the Greek text right here, which Jeff would be able to read for us. But right here is that word, the. This is where I'm underlining that's Jesus. And in front of it is the. You mean in, that little thing that looks like an O with a curlicue? Yeah, that's right. That's, that's the the. So like when you're, when you're reading about Mary, it might say, and the Mary said, or and the Jesus said. And so Young's is very literal, but he doesn't go so literal as to say, and the Jesus. But so that you can have, as we look at these different translations, Stephen's going to show us how much variation we'll have from a very literal reading. Let's just take a look at it here. So omitting like the word like the, here are the words that are used here. Now, this isn't the form of the words used up here. They're up here in their proper grammar place and sense. This is just the basic word. And so you have this. And Jesus walking by uh, C, and let's see, was there a the Sea of Galilee? Looks yes. like, yeah, yeah, by the Sea, the Galilee, uh, if I'm reading that right, by the Sea of the Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, uh, and they are ballo throwing, which I guess, is that where we get our English word ball, Jeff? I have always assumed it is. Um, yeah. Almost has to be. I don't remember that I've ever actually looked it up. But balo is the word for throw or cast. Yeah. And of course, B-A-L-L. If, you're, if people looking at it, they may not recognize that's B-A-L-L. Oh, well, you can see it where it's spelled yeah. in English. Sure. Yeah. <clears throat> and then they're throwing a net into, and you remember in our discussion last week about baptism, and we said ace does not mean because of, it means into, well, they're not throwing it because of the sea. They're throwing it into the sea uh, for they were fishers. So that's, that's, you can see how literal, although not completely so, but that's fairly, fairly word for word. Okay, Stephen, I'm going to stop sharing and get back to yours. Okay. Um, so that was the American Standard Version. Let me share my screen again real quick. And pull this up. All right. Can everybody see that again? Yep. So from the American Standard Version, we get the New American Standard, which is going to be fairly close, but tries to update some of the English. Matthew 4, 
Now, as Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then so instead Romans, of, I will make ye, we have I will make you, I'm assuming the American Standard had ye, and instead of brethren, uh, we've got brothers, for example. Yeah, so it updates the English in some cases, Jeff? Just an, uh, an illustration of the degree to which the mindset of the translators of the New American Standard was to try to be as literal as possible. Notice the asterisk just before the word said, mm-hmm. and, and that's in verse 19. In Greek, it's present tense, and he says to them. Oh, yeah. and, and that's typical uh, in, in Matthew and Mark and John when there's a quotation introduced uh, someone said, typically they put it in the present tense. In Mark, it's not just where it says, he says, it's, it's he comes, even though it's past tense. Mark typically would use the present tense. The New American Standard translators did as most modern translations do, and that is they felt that um, it was necessary to go ahead and put it in past tense to be proper form and to sound a sound proper in a literary way. It doesn't, it sounds too informal, I suppose, or too casual to use the present tense, but the new American standard translators felt it was important to put an asterisk there to alert the reader. Actually in the Greek, it is a present tense verb, not a past tense verb. Oh, that's cool. Go ahead. Before we go further, we did, we're getting some questions in, but I don't want to jump ahead. The questions are relating to the RSV connection uh, translation. So, We'll get to that. So, Rod, we'll answer your question here shortly. So, we come next to the King James Version, which is still today one of the most widely used versions of the Bible. Um, King James, uh, Matthew 4, and Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he saith unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And they straightway left their nets and followed him. And then Romans 3, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Christ Jesus unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, some of the older English in the King James and um, I think it's interesting to note, Jeff, as you mentioned earlier, Young's literal translation had and Jesus. It's kind of based on uh, the Texas Receptus, the King James and New King James as well. will have those readings. Right. In right. So the New King James, of course, very similar to the King James, but with updated English, similar to the American Standard and the New American Standard. The New King James reads, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And then he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Then Romans 3, Even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So again, sounds similar, um, but just a slightly different word order here and there uh, to get the idea across. Drew? I have a question for you. It's a graphical thing. You have these yellow lines, ASV, then down to the NASV. Then you have the King James Version to the New King James Version. 
you're not implying, I, I think you already said this, I'm not sure, but I want to make sure that it's clear. You're not implying that the NS, I'm sorry, the new American standard is just translating from the American standard version, but rather it's, it's actually translating back to the Greek. Yes, that's correct. So that's a good point to make is the new American standard. It wasn't like they took the English version, the English text of the American standard and said, we're just going to change the English text now. No, they, they went back to the Greek in the original languages, but they tried to update the way that they translated it um, into more modern English. So that's easier for us to understand. Yeah, so the new American standard is a revision of the American standard, which is actually the American re- uh, edition of the uh, revised standard, which was a revision of the King James. You're not the revised standard. It was a... Oh, oh yeah, the revised version. Yeah. Right. Which brings us to the revised standard version um, from, from the which... 1940s, 1940s era, I believe. Yeah, I didn't have the dates on this. I can go back and maybe add those. So the revised standard version has, and he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then in Romans 3, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And we had a specific question uh, from Rod that is the RSV and the NRSV, which I'm assuming is the new revised standard version. Are they real close? Um, I don't really know. I am not very familiar with the revised standard version or the new revised standard version. Um, I know that the English standard version, which has become very popular right now, is kind of a derivative of the revised standard version, kind of an update of it. It's fairly different. I'm assuming the new revised standard would be closer to the revised standard and the English standard version would be more different. But I don't know if you'll have a comment on that. I haven't spent much time with the new revised standard version, but when I looked at a copy of it a number of years ago, one of the first things I noticed is it seems to be a, a little bit aiming for political correctness gender inclusiveness, uh, that type of thing. Hmm. Okay. I was looking, I have a copy of it and I have used it a little bit, but uh, it's missing. So I can't, I'm not real familiar with it, but uh, the gender inclusive thing does ring a bell. So that brings us to the English standard version, which is kind of the last uh, of the versions on this side of the spectrum. Um. English version in Matthew 4, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then Romans 3, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So it reads a little bit smoother. Again, the closer you get to some of the thought for thought translations, um, they'll read a little bit more easily. Um, but I, the English standard, I, I use this as my primary Bible. I enjoy it because it seems to have a fairly good balance most of the time between trying to stick to the original word order and things like that, but also being pretty readable. Uh, just being able to pick it up and read it. 
Um, I don't like everything about the ESV. There's parts where I'm frustrated with how they handled a particular uh, translation of a section. But um, I've been using that more recently. I like the balance on that I have, one. I have a question on that thought. and Because I'm like you, I'll get frustrated sometimes. Where I'll, uh, something's not right. But I want to ask you, Stephen, what is it about a rendering of the text that would make you feel that way? Is it because you have experience studying it with different translations and you have a better familiarity with it from other well, translations? For me, one of the things that translators have to do is if there is a word that might mean various words, um, they can either try to pick a word that is neutral or if they have to pick a word, they pick a word that kind of interprets the text because there's translation and there's interpretation. Translation is just finding a word that means the exact same thing that the Greek word means. Interpretation is where you take a word that could mean that, but then you kind of pick the word that best fits what you think the author was going for. And there are a few places where the English standard version, you, you can look at, and this is what's such an advantage about having various translations is you can look at various translations and say, Oh, over here, there's a more general word, but maybe here they picked a word that kind of limits the interpretation to what they thought it meant. Um, I don't know if y'all have comments on that. Yeah, I'll offer this comment. The English Standard Version is is a good translation, and I recommend it. But it 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 isn't as accurate. It isn't as reliable as as a lot of people believe it is. It, you can find cases where the uh, English Standard Version translators have been interpretive in their translation. I'll give you one example real quickly. Um, in Romans chapter fifteen, verse twenty two and twenty three, Paul says. Wherefore also I was hindered many times from coming to you, but now having no longer a place in these regions and having a longing to come to you for many years, etc. So you look at that text and you wonder, well, why is it um, Paul no longer has a place in these regions? Why is it that he uh, feels he, he can no longer stay or is no longer needed in Achaia? And there are various ideas that might come to mind. But the English Standard Version doesn't leave it to you to think about that. They give you a reason that Paul didn't. The English Standard Version says, this is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. Um, so it's a, it's a little bit interpretive in that way. Hmm. Okay, but Any? with these different translations then, uh, thank you for both of you for you know, answering the question. Uh, well, and real quick on that. An important question is going to come up, and one came up from uh, – Herman, does these different translations change the standard of salvation? And I, and, and I guess that's an open question because, well, what translation are you talking about, right? Well, and when we get over to the right of this screen, these aren't even really translations. Like the Living Bible, which Stephen will get to in a minute, is not a translation. So you get to the point where they're they're, they're not even translating, and we don't want to use that. But if you stop and think how clearly all of these on the more formal equivalence end of this, we could understand all of those texts. Now, there might be some question, what does he mean, the righteousness of God? But those are the, that represents what Paul said, and by study, we can determine what that means. I don't want a Bible that goes overboard on trying to 
fix or explain to me what the text says. I want it to give me what the text says. And as we go through, we'll see that some get looser and looser, more and more readable, but looser and looser. Whereas you've got, say, the New American Standard and ESV and the New King James are all easily readable, but they don't have this loose, uh, loose aim that some have. You know, you know, I'm gonna. I want to backtrack just a little bit in my criticism of the ESV. There, my comments there were based on some work that I did some years ago. But I just opened up my Greek text, and Paul does start out with "dia," wherefore, um, which you could legitimately, you could legitimately translate that. Yeah. Um, so, so maybe the maybe I was a little hard on the ESV in that particular instance. So. Well, thank you, thank you. Very good. Um, ESV booksellers are, are slightly applauding right now. <laughs> <laughs> and again, we're not trying to push one single translation in our show today, um, but to try to look at the advantages and disadvantages of these different translations. Let's, Stephen, for sake of time, because it's already 225, so how about instead of going through all, both of the texts on all of these, select some to represent this as it goes through. It's your discretion. Okay, so we come next to the Holman Christian Standard Bible, which I also say there's been a revision of this one, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, that is a fairly significant revision of it. I was reading through the two of them before the show today, and uh, they're fairly new, so I'm not real familiar with them yet. Um, but uh, we're reading Romans three from the Holman Christian Standard Bible. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe since there is no distinction for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Um, so that's a little bit uh, different. We come to the, the NIV, which is, has been the best selling translation of the Bible worldwide for quite a while, at least the best selling English translation. Uh, this one has uh, in Romans 3, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here we see an example of kind of inserting some things into the text. I understand it, the, the text there is just, for there is no distinction but they insert there's no difference between Jew and Gentile, which is true right. in the context. But instead of just translating the text, they've supplied that for uh-huh. you to say, that's what he's talking about, which in this case is good. And, and they, got, they got it right, but they don't always get it right. And where they have this righteousness, Paul wrote the righteousness of God, God in the genitive. It just skips that part you know, they decided that that part wasn't important in the verse. And so, though you can understand what Paul is saying from looking at this, you're starting to see the looseness in the NIV that they're not, they're not aiming as much to just give you the word, what Paul said. Jeff, you're muted. Jeff, we can't hear you right now. You are muted. I, 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 I couldn't figure out. I kept trying to get a word in edgewise, and everybody just ignored me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. I don't know why. But this illustrates a, 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 a point about the NIV and the point you guys are making. The NIV uh, frequently does this, as it does here with Jew and Gentile 
in, in, introducing words into the text that are not in the Greek, but are helping to explain the meaning. By far, in my experience, most of the time the NIV does that, they get it right. But there yeah. are occasions when they don't. And the problem, as you've already indicated, is, the problem is that uh, the, the English reader who's not looking at a Greek New Testament or can't read a Greek New Testament and comparing it with the NIV, he has no way of knowing, as he reads just the NIV, he has no way of knowing when the NIV has added words to explain the text. Right. And so he cannot critically evaluate it and say, well, did they get it right or not? Yeah. Let me just say, I really appreciate the new American standard. If I can get back to that. Oh boy. Now my computer's starting to freeze up. We'll see if we can get it working again. Can y'all still hear me? Yep. We hear you. Okay. The new American standard will, what it does with that is it will put words in italics. Um, you'll notice like in Romans three, even the righteousness of God, the is in italics because there's not a the in the, te- in the Greek text, my understanding. Mm-hmm. And so it, it's trying to be very careful that when it adds a word to kind of help it smooth it out, it puts in italics to say, hey, this isn't originally there, but you can tell that as you're reading through it. So I appreciate the effort. But that's the um, New American Standard. Do they do that in the NIV? I don't believe no, so. NIV doesn't bother to do that, I don't believe. Now, there are other translations. Instead of putting words in italics, they'll put a footnote, and you can look down, and they'll say, or, you know, and they'll give an alternate translation in the footnote Um, and the italics doesn't mean to be emphasized even the righteousness of god (laughs) (laughs) of saying we've supplied this to make it read smoother yes very good this brings us down to a couple of other translations that are even more loose but even more readable there's the common english bible which is fairly new i think in the last couple of decades this bible came out um we'll read uh matthew 4 Um, And Jesus walked alongside the Galilee Sea, and he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come, follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away, they left their nets and followed him. So again, you notice contractions, it's just more casual, very easy to read, very straightforward how we would say it, but it's just not as tight to the original languages. Um, Similarly, in the NLT, you have that kind of thing. Um, and let me read Romans three here. Cause this is where it starts to get pretty different on this side. Romans three, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Christ Jesus. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who we are for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Jesus Christ when he freed us from the penalty uh, for our sins. And you might read that and say, is that the same text? You know, and, you can start to hear familiar things, but it gets pretty different. Again, easier to understand, but not as tight to the original. And then we get to the last couple here, the Living Bible. And these are just outright paraphrase. I'm just going to read briefly, and you'll see what I mean. Same passage, Romans 3. But now God has shown us a different way to heaven, not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way, though not new really, for the scriptures told about it long ago. And it's like, woo. You know, we're, we're way out uh, in the deep end here. Um, similarly, the message, uh, way out here. Romans 3, same passage. Uh, but in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. Um, so again, they're, they're trying to explain it, but this is no longer a translation at all. Uh, this is a paraphrase. Right. Or, 
product. So as we try to sum this up, I, I think there's kind of three distinct groups that emerge from these particular translations we've looked at. We've not looked at all of them, certainly. The translations here on the left uh, are good for, I would say, reading and study. Some better than others, but they're good to compare. Uh, I particularly like the New American Standard and the English Standard. Those are kind of the two I bounce back and forth between. The ones in the middle are, are good for reading comprehension. And there's times where that's really important. Maybe you're studying with someone who is new to the Bible and they're having a hard time even just getting the meaning out of the English words. And, and these translations can be helpful sometimes for people who are, are struggling in that way to just get an idea of what's going on. And over here, of course, we just have the paraphrases and sometimes they're interesting to read, but they're really not reading the biblical text. And, and, in, and in consideration that we're looking, you know, for the word of God, I don't want somebody else to, to, to sell something as a Bible. That's not what was said, but just that person's opinion. I, I'm reminded of it in the time of Ezra when they read the law and then they gave the sense thereof. And the paraphrases sometimes just kind of skip giving you what the text was, and they just jump straight to their opinion of what it meant. Stephen, uh, I want to make a comment, but while I'll, I'd like you, if you don't mind, do, do me a favor. If you can go into the uh, TLB or the message, go into the message mm -hmm. and you look up Ephesians 5, 3 4, 3 to 4. Oh, okay. Uh, Jacob said that this is a good example of a poor a passage. Um, so let's take a look and see what that one says. But while we're so doing is, that, I wanted to make sure we... we what was that passage again? Oh, I'm sorry. Ephesians 5, yeah. verse 3 and 4. We had a, a comment from a listener on that. And uh, I want to make sure we didn't overlook. Did we answer Rod's question on the NRSV we touched on it. None of us are real familiar with the NRSV, right. but we touched on it. Okay. Yeah. So we can't really give so, them a hundred percent answer on that on how close it is. Yeah. Right. So Ephesians five, three and four in the message. Sorry, Drew. Were you finished? No, no, no. There? Go ahead. Go ahead. Ephesians five, three and four in the message. Don't allow love to turn into lust, setting off a downhill slide into sexual promiscuity, filthy practices, or bullying greed. Though some tongues just love the taste of gossip. Those who follow Jesus have better uses for language than that. Don't talk dirty or silly. That kind of talk doesn't fit our style. Thanksgiving is our dialect. That's interesting. Okay. So this would be a good time to uh, show what we're going to put on the screen and show people how to use a free online Bible tool. And maybe we'll take a look at that Ephesians 5 to see what, look at what Paul actually said. Because here's one of the things that we have to be careful about. One of the things that tends to happen is when we're used to translation A, and then we read translation B, and we assume what? Well, translation B is wrong. Translation A is right. Yeah, I memorized that verse years. Man, I, we memorized that in Sunday school, and I know it says this, and now they're saying it says that. What's, what's the flawed premise there? Well, then you're assuming that your first translation was accurate to the Greek yeah, and sometimes we can even make some uh, bad arguments. In fact, let's let's just go ahead and jump to this. What is the most famous verse probably in the New Testament? Just John 
Yeah, so we're going to go, uh, the, the side I'm going to go to here, we'll go through this just a little bit slow so you can see. There's, di there's all sorts of software that you can use. I'm not recommending everything about this site, but just using the word search things I think are valuable. This particular one is blueletterbible.org. Are you going to share your screen? Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I was. All right. And where did that go? Okay, so this is blueletterbible.org. All right. And so you, if you've got a computer that you don't have to pay for this, you don't have to download it. You, uh, you There's know. also a free app for those who use smartphones. And so you can just go to blueletterbible.org and this will come up. And so now I'm going to type in here. You see up here at the top where it says verse words. I'm going to go John 3.16. And we're going to leave King James uh, classical translation in place. Some of the searches work best that way, but then we can look at other translations if we want to. We're going to look at John 3.16. All right. And so here we have, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, perhaps you have heard this argument um, that this, that on the subject of once saved, always saved, that it's important to point out that he should not perish. In fact, recently I heard someone pointing out, like, let's go over here. I clicked on tools. We're going to go to Bibles. And the NIV is not, I don't care for the NIV, but here they're unfairly criticized. Here's the NIV. God so loved the world that he gave his only one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. And the argument made was, oh, no, no, the Bible says he shouldn't perish, but not necessarily that he won't. <laughs> change the word of God to he shall not perish. Uh, and what, what, in other words, they're taking the word should here in the sense of ought, like, should I do that? You know? And so you shouldn't, but Hey, you might, uh, there's a, there's a real problem with that. And so instead of saying, Hey, my Bible said this, let's look, we're going to go here to tools and we're going to click on interlinear. Now, what that does, this shows us, so that's the Greek. If you were looking at a manuscript of John centuries and centuries ago in Greek, here's the words that, there, that would be there. And here, for those of us that can't look at that and make sense, here they're broken down. So see, there's that word right there. There's that word right there that changed the word order and make it fit. Here's the word theos, which means God. Here's the word theos. In this section here, they've changed the word order, but they're showing you these words up here. Now, where is the word should? There it is. There it is. But it's really the word. Um, it's, it's just part of the word not perish. Uh, and so, Jeff, maybe you can explain to us quicker and more simply because we're about to run out of time why there's a should there. So apollomy means I perish, but if you go back up to the text, instead of apollomy, the form that is used in the text is apolytai, right there, you're pointing, that's it, apolytai. And that's a subjunctive form in, in Greek. And in English, we the subjunctive mood is largely disappearing, but we use the subjunctive if we say things like, 
were I to do something such and such, or should this happen? Uh, we use the words were, should, would, those kinds of things to communicate um, the subjunctive mood. And so that's what's being done here. The NIV is correctly representing the subjunctive mood. So should my heart fail in the middle of the operation, do not resuscitate me or something like that. You're, not you're saying not, your heart ought to fail. You're saying in the event that this happens. <laughs> right. And so the king so, so Just to clarify here, in this particular passage, in this particular occurrence, the word might would work well in English. Whosoever believes in him might not perish. That would be a way of saying the same thing in English, except then again, people are going to think, think that means, well, maybe. No, it doesn't mean maybe. Yeah, right. It's, it's, it's hard to do in a subjunctive mood when nobody uses the subjunctive mood anymore. Yeah, so the, the point here is don't look at your translation, and because somebody else's translation has something different from yours, automatically assume yours is wrong, because all of these are translations. The King James translators translated this well, and they did, when they wrote that, they didn't mean, yeah, it would be a good idea if he wouldn't. That's not <laughs> what they meant. Uh, it, it's like, you know, should I die? I want you to have my car. I'm, I'm not asking, ought I to die? I'm talking about in that event. Uh, let's see if we've got time to do one more here. Let's do 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Um, this is a passage in which we see Calvinistic influence in the King, in the American, in the, excuse me, in the NIV coming through. Now, here's the King James. It says, The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolish unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. This is similar to the statement made back earlier in chapter 1, where it said that to the Greeks, the cross was just foolishness. You know, you walk up and you tell an unspiritually minded Greek in the first century that you're serving and worshiping a guy that got crucified and how's that going to sound to it? That's foolishness. Crazy. What are you talking about? Yeah. So Paul says, we preach Christ crucified, which, you know, to the Greek is foolishness. Well, here he says, the natural man doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God. They're foolishness to him. Now, if we go to tools and we're going to go to interlinear, interlinear. And here's what I want you to watch for. How many times does the word spirit occur here? So here we've got sukakos. That's the natural man, but the natural man, and he doesn't receive, etc. This is the word for spirit right there, okay, uh, related to that. And, uh, and then down here, spiritually discerned. So here's the spirit of God, and you see it down here. Uh, he doesn't receive the things of the spirit of God. And what do we have up there? It's a sukakos man, doesn't receive the things of the Spirit of God. Let's look at the NIV. So you can just click on Bibles. Scott, there's a quicker way. If you just click on Bibles down here, the oh, arm tab, they give you the different translations. All right. The person without the Spirit, and they've capitalized it. So here we have the person without the Holy Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God but considers them foolish, cannot understand them because they are, not, they are discerned only through the Spirit. So in the text, we had Spirit here and here, but they put Spirit in here a third time. 
did the text say the man, and you see how this fits Calvinism. If you don't have the Holy Spirit, you can't understand the scripture. God gives you the Holy Spirit. Now you can understand it. That's not what he's saying. Let's go back and look at what that word meant. And here's a little thing that you can do. You can click on that word. There we go, natural. What does it mean? We're going click to on click the on that of the word. Yeah, we're going to click on that number. That's the Strong's number for that word. And it's you can go down here and you can read Strong's. You can read Thayer's. Um, and you can see where it's used. And for instance, look, here it is in James. The wisdom, uh, this wisdom, talking about where there's jealousy and that type of thing, this wisdom descends not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Here in Jude, it's used to be sensual. Here, natural. So it's, it's natural and sensual. That kind of man, it's, he, it doesn't make sense to him. He's not spiritually minded enough to do it. It's not that he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. For example, and let's just make this point uh, doctrinally just real quick. In Acts 2, who had the Holy Spirit at the beginning of the chapter? The apostles. After they preached the word, did the audience understand it? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. They were cut to the heart, and they said, what should we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wait a minute, wait a minute. They had to, already had the Spirit to be able to understand what he said, didn't they? <laughs> and what we have here is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God meant for people before they have the Holy Spirit to understand it. But if you are a carnally, unspiritually-minded man, if you're not seeking, Jesus said those that seek will find. And so that's just one example, and hopefully this will give people an idea of how you can use this tool to just look up some words. We don't have much time left because we're no, no. past it, but I did, I did want, Jeffy, to mention something about how the New Testament writers quoted from both the Hebrew and the Greek translation. Yeah, so, so we had a question earlier, and I just briefly will just mention this. We had a question earlier, does it affect our salvation, which translation you're going to use and the difference in the translations? And, and the point I was making was something we'd hope to talk about. Maybe we can talk about it next week or sometime in the future. Uh, in the New Testament, the Old Testament scriptures are quoted. Sometimes they are quoted from the Hebrew text of the Old Testament. Sometimes they are quoted from a Greek translation of the Old Testament, known as the Septuagint. Uh, and those, those are going to vary. There are going to be differences in those. And yet both were, um, were regarded as suitable sources to quote from. And the point that I want to simply make is, when we're on the left side of that spectrum that Stephen was showing um, in, in that chart with all the different translations in a spectrum, when we're on the left side of that spectrum, there are going to be differences from one translation to another. But generally speaking, you're going to be able to understand the point that is being made by God to us, the point that is being made in God's word, in spite of the fact that there are going to be some differences in how closely the wording is just like the original language. So get a good translation. Don't go with one of the paraphrases. Right. Um, and, and better yet, as Stephen mentioned earlier, get two or three translations so that when there is a difference that makes a difference, you'll be alerted to it. And they're all and funny. if you see them vary from each other and you want to look up and see which word, you know, was in the, in the text and see how it's used elsewhere, you can do that. 
and we all have we have access to the free versions of these translations through applications like uh, Blue Letter Online. Well, everybody, I want to thank you 